Man, give me that air conditioning. Yeah. Alright, well welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. A brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by a triple junction and new news. Our main discussion will dive into terrible geology movie. <laughs> I forgot next. <laughs> geology <laughs> movie. Yeah. So, and the geology of Middle Earth. Yes. I'm excited about that. Yeah. So between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you another Mineral Minute. And before signing off, we will close things out with a new and improved That Freaking Rocks. A big thank you to all the listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs and for sp- spending your time with us each week. If you'd like to reach out for to us, whether, whether <laughs> it be for episode ideas like this episode, questions you are wanting questions, or just to tell us about all the times we were wrong, you can reach us at geologyotr at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at Geology on the Rocks Podcast. So it does look as if things are squared away over here, so without further ado to all of you over there from your geology daddies, hashtag, <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, James the Geologist. And I'm Brian Baggins. And this is Geology, geology on, on the, the Rocks. Rocks. Hey, man. Yes, it's so much better. <laughs> Dude, it is so yeah. much better. Yeah. Well, welcome... Brian, Dude. it's it's long and awaited. Like months. I don't hey, know. that was that, that sounded was like a real a, yeah. a real cheers because it was. <laughs> so hey, man, episode thirty. What we made it to the I I when you told me that earlier, I was like, we've been doing this like less than a year. Yeah, and we've been cranking these out. Uh, thanks to you and your editing. And <laughs> well, like all that. No, so, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No. no, we really have, dude. Yeah. And you were. I just remember this one being one of those those big ones where you know what I'm saying. Like it's like oh, when are we? It's gonna feel like we kind of you know are like podcasters yeah. or actually have something. Right. So 25 was like quarter of, you know, those are the easy numbers, but 30, I think way back when was that kind of milestone. So then right. to the next 30. So yeah. how was your week? I heard and saw on you, on your Instagram that you have some <laughs> special geology news for everyone. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I finally went out and ground truth and took samples of the mapping project I've been doing for the past year, yeah. basically. So we went down to the Guadalupe River Canyon just upstream in New Braunfels. Uh-huh. And I showed you my map earlier. It's just riddled with sites. Yeah, right? there, there so, was a lot on there. Yeah. Yeah. So we were looking for paleo stage indicators. So ancient flooding. And we wanted to be able to differentiate those from flood of record stuff. So we need we need data and ages on those. And so I got to take my first OSL sample. Okay. What does that stand it's, for? Uh, optically stimulated luminescence. Man, that sounds <laughs> like a, a good... <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> what you don't want to do in a hotel room. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. No, it's when light hits the quartz crystals. Yeah. And it'll, it basically excites the electrons. Okay. And, and so then it basically emits a certain, like it traps it. Oh, cool. So then you, then that's your last exposure rate. Okay. So yeah. And, and it's way a little more complicated than that. But it, yeah, cause in my head, I'm just like, all I can think of, cause did you know, like when you strike two pieces of quartz together, it, it sparks like, like any two pieces of quartz, it's called triboluminescence. Whoa. And it kind of smells like, I don't know, nitrogen 
region, but okay. that's what it is. So like, I uh, just, like, I like to have do a it. quartz battle, <laughs> dude. Like, no, you'll see chunks of quartz, like in my closet. Cause I'm like, Hey kids, kids, come look at this. This is really cool. And I take milky quartz and I like smash it together and it, I've got well, it, well, it doesn't like spark, but it, you can see it kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. I think it's really cool. But yeah. no, I was talking, did we talk about your other thing, Mr. G? Oh, I don't know if we did. No, I don't think we, I think I wanted to wait till, uh, okay. That's what I was, I, that's I what couldn't I was, remember. It's been a hectic last month for both of us, I think, but no, yeah, I really think it has been. Um, yeah, I'm uh, officially a professional geologist now. I passed the dreadful practice of geology exam. It was, it was Dude, fucking awful. <laughs> it sounds like it, but <clears throat> to you. Thank you. Thank you. You heard it first. So ge- <laughs> geology on the rocks finally has a, pr- pr- oh, was that a laughing? No, that was a clap, right? Yeah, it was a clap. Okay. Okay. In my head, I thought it was, I, oh no, no. <laughs> that I thought I actually cool. played that one. <laughs> no. Uh, so geology on the rocks finally has its own real geologist. <laughs> You're professional. <laughs> but you know what? We like, we'll still be doing this when you get your PhD. So then we'll have a professional geologist and a doctor. Yeah. But my doctorate will not be in geology, okay. <laughs> but I have, but a you ma- are a master of geology. Yeah. Well, but I have also failed the GIT. Okay. Well, damn that. That they I, suck. I, those, those tests suck. No. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Anyways, I'd probably nail at least the GIT now, but I don't yeah. care enough. Yeah. I, I mean, so. well, well, how have you been though? I've, I've been good. Like I've been preparing. So next Tuesday, so I guess June 1st, I start teaching physical geology. I, I like I my summers. Like, so during the, the big semesters, I always teach like a, it's a geology course. It's earth science for non-science majors. Oh, okay. So it's kind of, I have to like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> you gotta really yeah. squeeze it out. And then I teach uh, two oceanographies. So, right. I do that uh, in fall and spring, but in the summers is where I get to like really go in more depth because I'll, I'll be teaching physical geology. But it, this, since I didn't, I only taught summer one last semester because that's the height of the pandemic and I was trying to f- get everything online. I was like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. But so I've had time, but I'd be teaching historical geology for summer two, which I'm that's excited awesome. about. Dude, that was my is favorite it, undergraduate course. Is it in it. person? No, unfortunately that's still going to be online, but I will be going back in the fall to teach face to face. Okay. I'm going to be constantly going back and listening to our, <laughs> our podcast. I'm like, I need ideas to talk yeah. about. So no. I mean, like we have plenty of good ideas. Yeah. So awesome. I uh, see like this, it's going to go long because we haven't seen your beautiful face <laughs> in so long. Yeah. No, I was like, I was like going to make it the awkward yeah. thing, but I don't have the crickets button. You do. Oh, well come over here. You don't, I don't. Oh, like last week when I laid out on you and you went into that super in depth. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Was that the granites or what was it? Oh that? no, I guess that was, no, last week was the, um, or the last episode when we were talking about oh, space yeah. and you were, oh, went into, right. what was it? Uh, <laughs> heli- no, hydrogen yeah. and it's deuterium and you yeah. went into this long explanation. The fusion. Yeah. But I was like, the, I was like, I don't remember now. Kevin, Kevin, <laughs> don't say anything. <laughs> Oh geez. Uh, yeah. That's but awesome. it's good having you back in person. So yeah, man. let's see, let's get into triple junction real quick. Uh, we don't have any feedback, but the fanfare, I just wanted to throw it out there. So we got a, a request for an episode. So I believe Zach was excited when I guess we did the episode with Dale mm-hmm. and he heard that we were doing it over AMD, but he was like, uh, wah, wah. <laughs> when we were talking about anthropogenic marine debris, but he thought it was going to be acid mine drainage. Okay. So yeah. I think that that would be a good 
eight episode idea that we could probably make happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we owe a few episodes before that. We need like glaciation like <laughs> jobs. Oh yeah. We do need to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I meant, um, <clears throat> but you know, it's been busy for both of us. So bear with us out there and I didn't get any questions this week, but did you get any questions this week? I don't think so. No. I mean, people were like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, <laughs> a rock hammer. I'm on their property. Yeah. They just, they're like, oh yeah, this one dude stopped us. And he was like, as a landowner, I'd really like an answer what you boys are doing. Oh. <laughs> it's like the other guys with me were old. So I don't know why yeah. I was calling us boys, but yeah. <laughs> Friendly well, Texans. Well, lastly, I guess we wanted to, I guess, mention out there that we're probably going to activate sponsorships to help fund a project that we want to start working on yeah. that is that beach cleanup. So yeah, the Dale mentioned in. Yeah. So it'd be the yeah. third September. So <laughs> I think we activated, so I guess, what is it? The, the listener support. And then also you will hear us talking about sponsorships before mineral minutes. Yes. And just know that all of the proceeds for that will be going towards the ocean cleanup. And that's strictly what it's for. So yeah. anyways, if anyone is interested I just wrote in the thing that you can find us on HTTPS forward slash forward slash anchor dot FM forward slash geology slash on slash the slash rocks slash support. Yeah. So, oh no. Slash is being forward. Yeah. Whatever. They're the dashes. Yeah. Whatever. You can just find us you if, <laughs> if you want to do that again. It's all it's going towards is the third weekend in September and many thanks to those that do. Then I guess on to new news we go, sir. So yes. I'll go first. Okay. If you don't mind, oh, yeah, uh, let me get party waltz. So my new news Story is the naked mother effing mole rat. <laughs> Dude, I think I think this thing should be our official unofficial yeah. mascot. Like we may need to update our our shirts and yeah, stuff. just or maybe <laughs> just have it somewhere. We need an alternate. It's like an alternate logo. Yeah, the naked mole rat. We could, so, they could have a little pickaxe or something. Oh, that is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm on it. So I don't know why these little monstrosities, these monstrosities <laughs> fascinate me so much, but so like if I see something that pops up with naked mole rat, I'll read it. So, well, this is not new news <laughs> as in the recent. So as this research was done a few years ago, but it is new news to me and I'm sure all of you out there listening. So these things, the heterocephalus glaber, to my surprise, can survive up to 18 minutes without any oxygen at all. So it, yeah, and how they came and how they came as a surprise. Uh, what did I write? <laughs> what did I say? And how they came as a surprise. <laughs> how they came up with this number, or how did how do they do this? How they even came to realize this, or how they're even able to do this, is sugar. Okay. Okay, that makes more sense. So sugar was found to be the key in their ability to, well, I guess, basically not breathe. So anaerobic glycosis with fructose rewired pathways is the scientific... What did I even write here? <laughs> was the scientific way or the reasoning was the naked mole rats avoid tissue damage? And I didn't write this well. <laughs> so the metabolic rewiring of glycosis can circumvent the normally lethal effects of oxygen deprivation. But what scientists, they placed these uh, naked mole rats in an atmospheric chamber and subjected them to 5% O2 for five hours. And the mole rats, they had no apparent ill effects. Whereas mice, the, the, 
Mus musculus, they died in less than 15 minutes with 5% oxygen, just to give it kind Poor of that. Mice. They next exposed these animals to 0% O2 in a chamber flushed with an N2, right? The mm. What's in the atmosphere. So res respiration in the mice on average was about 45 plus or minus five seconds after entering the chamber. None recovered when exposed to normal or normoxia, which 20 seconds later. Similarly, naked mole rats rapidly lost conscious in about 30 seconds after the exposure. But unlike the mice, the naked mole rats continued to make sporadic breathing attempts for several minutes. So after the respiration ceased, the naked mole rats were left in O2 or 0% O2 for an additional minute. Surprisingly, all four naked mole rats that started <laughs> breathing within seconds upon exposure to room air and all rejoined their colony with no signs of neurological or behavioral deficits. Good Lord, read James. So in further experiments, naked mole rats recovered from fixed 10 minute and 18 minute intervals in 0% oxygen exposures, but they never recovered from 30 minutes. So researchers postulated that the naked mole rat vital organs survive O2 deprivation with metabolic suppression similar to hibernation, torpor, or suspended animation-like state. The sugar kind of like with the breakdown, I don't know, but it was, yeah. I was like, what? Glycocus. Glycosis. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you say those words. <laughs> you say those words. But like, <laughs> ah, man, so they can survive zero oxygen. Where are the, the rats in that? They yeah. Even in the 5%, they died in 45 seconds? Jesus. Yeah, I mean, so this, they have to be our mascot. They, they're 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 like the tardigrades of yeah. the animal kingdom. That's so wild. Were they tardigrades? Tardigrades. Tardigrades. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I said it right. So. Yeah. Okay. Our music died. Oh yeah, dude. I get. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's wild. I, I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I don't. How how deep do they burrow? I have no idea. Yeah, I think that's, I guess, deep enough that they don't have, like, they've evolved to not have much oxygen. Yeah, but I'm sure there isn't. That's yeah. crazy. All right, well, I'm going to continue on my theme of <laughs> perverted animals, or at least uh, horny animals. <laughs> so the Australian lyrebird, or lyrebirds, yeah. they lie to get laid. Okay, so, so lie birds lying to get laid. Say yes. that 10 times fast. Yeah, exactly. So they have their normal courtships where they will mimic other birds, put on this really robust display to try to impress the females. Yeah. It also makes me think of like the bird of paradise, like how it can do like those crazy sounds. It can kind of do the same thing, but it mainly imitates other birds. Well, if that doesn't work, researchers started to realize, hey, like what is what is this weird sound? And they, they realized that it's they call them like um it's like mob flocks and so it's like when birds get spooked by predators okay they'll all fly off all of a sudden right yeah you've heard that sound yeah and a lot of these researchers when they're looking out for snakes and stuff they will utilize birds that do that as like oh hey there's there's a really dangerous snake or something nearby well the lyre bird it makes that sound very impressively it's very accurate Okay. And so the female will not leave the stick that they're on. And so he's able to like keep them there by making them think that there's a predator somewhere else. Okay. And so then that way he's able to keep her around longer to mate. Okay. When I first, when I first read, <laughs> when, I, when I first read this, I don't know why in my head, I didn't think that they were actually like manipulating the situation. I, th are, I thought yeah. it, they were just like, they would lay, lie down, like kind of uh, oh. like, like sideways be like, Hey baby. <laughs> oh God. Like no. I thought it was like, they physically just like laid down. No, Cause you know, like yeah. birds are just kind of like, yeah. thought, like maybe they made love in the missionary. No, they're totally womanizers. Yeah. So he's basically <laughs> Acting like all the males. Yeah, he's he's a fuck boy, right? He's he just is, he's yeah. he's saying the words to make it, <laughs> yeah, make him believe whatever. Yep. Yeah, man. God. 
<laughs> Dude. I love how our new news is always just messed up. Wheels off. Rarely geologic news. Nor should it be because yeah. we get into it. I yeah. tried to make it, usually try to make it about what we're talking about in the episode, but I couldn't resist the urge to talk about <laughs> the naked mole rat, Please. even though I have terrible Englishes. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like <laughs> if I was, if I took my Ambien and I was trying to write that story, because maybe it, there's just missing just parts. Like- <laughs> <laughs> there is there, there missing words. I was like, what am I even saying words? Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well then cool. I guess on to episode 30 we go. And yeah. again, this idea came to us from one of our listeners and we decided to give it a go. So who was it? Do you remember? Uh, was it Jillian? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. Okay. So if we Thanks, said that Jillian. wrong, apologize in advance. Yep. Uh, it's been a minute, but are, we put it in the, the, the worksheet to work through it and we, we finally got to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how this evening's episode will go, what we did is we each reviewed our own geology movie and we will discuss the merits of our respected movies that we chose. And then on the back half, we talk about the geology of, I know I've already said it, but wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Middle Earth. I'm excited about that part. Yeah, I mean, obviously. I will give you honors for debuting your movie first, sir. Okay. Well, I I looked around on every streaming platform and the core, I just, I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> Dude, it's <laughs> like, and I didn't, I'd never seen it. I didn't know what to expect if it was like journey to the center of the earth kind it, of thing. It kind of was, but yeah. Dude, how that even, I know you're reviewing it, but just even how it just started with a dude going into a business meeting. <laughs> yeah, this pacemaker. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, he's like, yeah, we're going to close this deal. And then just. It's, yeah, it's so absurd. So I'll go through some points of why it was a bad. They, they, they had some stuff that was right. Like they had the structure of the earth pretty much there. Some of the more bizarre stuff like the, the northern lights and like the yeah. static field, like that's all true. Lord, what are my kids doing? So like the the northern lights and the static field, like that's that's true to some degree. Even what about the the sound propagating through at the very beginning? I thought that was cool. Like the, oh, yeah. where he was blowing, he was oh, he was blowing the rock. <laughs> no, he was uh, playing the trumpet in the Ossisol Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I mean, there's so there's some stuff that's good. I mean, they couldn't just make a completely asinine movie. But, oh, I mean, they you did. haven't they heard did. my movie yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw the title of that, so <laughs> but I'll kind of go through some of the bad, bad science in it. So, okay. So the outer core in the movie it ceases to rotate. Yeah, that was kind of that hurt my head a little bit. I was like, what? Yeah, and so they basically were saying that how they got around it was this was the science fiction part because the earth didn't stop doing that on its own. You find out that it's this terrible name, Project Destiny. Okay. That one of the scientists used because they thought that another country was going to do it. Okay. And so yeah. they built the technology. Really terrible. But yeah, it, it can't really, that's not going to happen like that. And we don't have the technology <laughs> to make that happen. Well, so, we haven't even been able to drill into the mantle, have we? No. No. And no. that's also in this. So speaking of the mantle, there's like this vast empty <laughs> space. In the mantle in the movie. <laughs> I love how we're laughing so hard. Like people are like, God, dude, it's not that funny. No, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, but think about where the 
the mantle's so much pressure, not only like being pulled towards the center, right? But also like the the weight yeah, of the, the crust. The overburden. Yeah. It's so dense that why would you have these immense, massive, huge empty spaces. Yeah, the cat. like Yeah. So they have that in there. And so it's pressures 3.5 million times the pressure that's at the Earth's surface. <laughs> so I just, I wanted to point that out. So that was the kind of thing, like, they just made up that there's this empty mantle. Yeah, so. which is, doesn't, it's like this, this magma chamber, like, yeah. this mantle plume, like, evacuated its chamber and then yeah. it just, like, and left nothing. It's, oh, but then it grew, <laughs> then the water percolated through it, percolated oh, through yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the worst part of the movie, no, not the worst part. This is, this is the second worst part. Amethyst crystals. <laughs> so they like punch through a geode in the mantle. <laughs> and it's, the man- yeah. And like they go out and it's all these purple quartz crystals yeah. all over. Like the size of like New York City. Oh, like, not to mention that right in the middle is this big lava pool. Oh, yeah. 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 It, which, <laughs> so they basically, they crash into this geode <laughs> in the mantle and the, the geophysicist is like, oh, this is amethyst. It's like, what the hell? Who, who is your scientific advisor to say this? Quartz is not stable down there. Okay. Like that's not like, it's like 5,000 something degrees. <laughs> What's the melting point of quartz? Yeah. It's 700. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, exactly. <laughs> so why is their amethyst just shining? But <laughs> And it's not even there. The mantle's mafic. So it's like... It's, I, I know. That's why I'm laughing. It's undersaturated in silica, which does not mean it's undersaturated in quartz. Okay, it is. It's it's ultra un, unsaturated yeah, quartz because there's like, not any, yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're... they're there's yeah. silica, yeah, but not... Because, sil- like, all of them are silicate minerals. But it's not going to isolate into SiO2 strictly. Right. And it's not going to form <laughs> a geode bubble the size of New York City. <laughs> Oh, oh, just I can and if like, you punched a hole, like <laughs> it would explode, right? With that decompression. Yeah. Well, just first like, off, they're like, "How is? How did it f- stay down here?" And they're like, "It's made of chromium, the outer shell." I'm like what? The- <laughs> what? It's like the geophysicist is telling you that. Like maybe don't let a geophysicist talk petrology. Oh man, they I don't know. They talk in time. Not <laughs> yeah, depth. no, they have their thing. But anyways, there's not geodes of amethyst. No. Like floating around. And then they're like, they're like, I guess all the lava starts like filling in. They say, like, okay, no, I just messed up. <laughs> they call it lava. It's just freaking magma. <laughs> it's not lava. It's lava is on the earth's surface. <laughs> they they call out. They say, at this rate, we have two minutes before the lava gets us. <laughs> it's like, it's not lava, dude. <laughs> See? Okay, the, the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> of the movie was so they they have lasers going in right and they this ridiculous laser ship <laughs> that goes all the way down to the core they get the core spinning by shooting bombs <laughs> off inside and then they don't use lasers going out like i guess they all the oh they had diamonds oh yeah they, the, they're like watch out we're gonna hit this diamond yeah and so like they're just not there anymore like first off there's not diamonds yeah. where we don't have any proof of there being a well not 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 like the where they're saying like oh we're gonna no but it. we do have diamondiferous rocks yeah like, like where it comes up from like the, the sure. kimberlite yeah the kimberlites are a good a good one and even in like peridotites you can have diamonds yeah but not enormous huge cluster I mean these things were yeah they made it seem blue like whale the size, size of houses <laughs> yeah yeah 
But that that is not the worst part. The worst part is where they their plan to come out of the core is to go. They say we found a space between two tectonic plates in Hawaii, in the Hawaiian Islands, like right off coast. And what we should have done is done a competition and like whoever answers it, we send out a geology on the rocks mug, but, but we, we didn't. didn't. We'll, but that would have been, why is this not plausible? Yeah, thing? that would be. Well, it's I, because you're a professional geologist and I would expect you to tell us. Well, there is no <laughs> lighting of two plates at Hawaii. It's a hot spot. Yeah. Like what? So where, where are the plates? <laughs> oh, hurry before it yeah. closes. So that's why the Hawaiian Islands islands are in that that fat that orientation is because it just the hot spot and yeah so the emperor seamount hawaiian yeah. island chain like it, it but i think I, I i use that in my labs to measure the the rate at which it's spreading because you know how old it is right and how much distance so that will give you a exactly you know, but i it's that <laughs> Yeah, and then, then, then they're just sitting at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. It runs on heat. And the whales, <laughs> the whales sing to them. That's how they find them at the end. Which well, I guess okay, we're you not going to boil to death. Yeah. But I was like, dude, that's the worst part. There are no, there's no, there's no collision of tectonic plates at Hawaii. Yet someone thought it was okay just to let the riders do this. Yeah. Anyways, I give the core F minus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And then just all the <laughs> the acting's terrible. Well, you haven't seen bad acting because I present to you. So <laughs> I, I can't even like. I'm not even going to talk about the. I'm just going to talk about how terrible of a movie this was because I I can't. The title itself. <laughs> so my movie. Get this. Airplane versus volcano. <laughs> And <laughs> boy, is it made by like the Sharknado people? Yeah, exactly. Is it really? Yeah, no, yeah, Asylum. Oh, I just totally guessed it because it sounded like something. Yeah, that they would do. I don't even know <laughs> if I would put this in the category of a B movie because usually the B movie studio, the Asylum, you know, it's best known for its mockbuster films capitalizing yeah. on the, anyways, such as like Sharknado and such like that. But <laughs> God dang. So Airplane versus Volcano. So it attempted to, I guess, cash in on, not on a big movie, but seemingly on a big news story, namely, you know, so volcanic ash back in 2010, it grounded flights. So yeah. kind of plausible. So the Ayafietla, Ayafietla, you remember that? Yes. Nine Ayafietla, Jack of Dude, I, I listened to that the other day and uh, like I was, I was instantly just back there. I was like giggling because I was like, what was that? that what? Was so bad. Ayafietla, Ayafietla. Anyways, it's a Icelandic volcano that erupted in 2010. Choosing not to, I guess, piss around too much. The airplane versus volcano kicks off right away with this massive volcano erupting and melting some poor idiot geologist, volcanologist that was on there that was studying it. Just all of a sudden, he's like, oh, we have some activity. And then just the person back at the lab was like, are you getting this? Do we have some, you know, the, the vibrations? And then all of a sudden just... <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Okay. So then it quickly jumped uh, to the film's main setting, a passenger airplane. <laughs> yeah, it's like snakes on a plane, <laughs> unwittingly flying over the volcano. So it's this airplane that was going over it. And then within minutes, ash and rogue fireballs start causing problems. And before too long, both pilots have been killed by a cockpit explosion, leaving the plane on autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. So cue the inevitable frantic hunt for someone who can fly a plane and the the convenient revelation that passenger Rick Pierce, he's our hero, played by the one-time Superman, Dean Kane, and then claims he can indeed, he can fly a plane. So just not only, he he goes into the cockpit and starts like pulling out the, uh, the, the pilots and starts flying the plane. And then half of Rick's fellow passengers are hilariously collection of cliches. There's the aging air marshal with the heart of gold. There's the, the token <laughs> War- worried mother and sick child and an even mildly offensive bearded foreigner accented <laughs> oh man God. who goes a wee bit uh, batshit and tries to storm the cockpit. Oh my God. Yeah. Seriously? So yeah, <laughs> the other half of oddly appropriate areas of expertise that come in almost a little too handy, right? So other than the obvious example of Dean Kane being a pilot, another chap knows how to hack his tablet so it can <laughs> make distress calls and get this, another just happens to be a volcano expert. <laughs> Oh, wow. Seriously? So even even with this, like it's <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. So Dean or Rick is our is safely to navigate the plane through the volcano and the other eight volcanoes that have seemingly sprouted out as a result of this eruption. Yeah, like not 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 just like it erupted, dude. These are like full blown mountains, like out out of the they've you know they've peaked out of the ocean floor. Yeah, and they just become this massive volcano just like instantly. <laughs> Right. So if you're expecting a realistic interpretation of what may happen in the unlikely event of a plane flying over an active volcano, you might as well and go ahead and throw those expectations out the window. You're going to be disappointed <laughs> if you're a geologist. So almost every element of airplane versus volcano plot is unlikely to the point that you start to think the screenwriters were deliberately trying to come up with as many scientific possibilities <laughs> as possible. I give you, for example, when the aforementioned hacker manages to get his tablet working, he's somehow able to contact the military on the what? same radio frequency as the plane. Yeah. As if a volcano wouldn't disrupt. No, yeah. And like, <laughs> they, they lose like, con- yeah, it doesn't make sense. At one point, a big cloud of smoke rolls across the sea and goes over a beach, instantly turns everyone to ash, then disappears without a trace. What? Yeah. Volcanoes are apparently 800 miles wide or so because the plane somehow <laughs> continues to fly over the same one for an entire 90 minutes of the film. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a shield box. Dude, I don't know. (laughs) Those are, yeah, these things are massive. So, as the flight progressed, the countless hurdles are thrown at Rick, and then the rest (laughs) of the passengers, the various, you know, incidents only continue to increase in ludicrousness. At one point, they need to activate the emergency fuel dump switch, which it turns out is underneath the cockpit in a hard to reach location. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, the only way to flick the switch is to crawl on the floor and blindly stretch your arm underneath the seat. (laughs) And then, you know, and not, what happens with people with short arms? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to do it. So even more um, absurd is that later in the film, an engine breaks down and it's decided the best way to fix it is to create a daisy chain of seat belts, tie it around someone on <laughs> a plane door. And then still be able to breathe. And then hit the hammer, hit the engine the- with a hammer. <laughs> I'd be serious. Hitting <laughs> A turbo, a turbo jet engine at that at that speed, being able <laughs> flying to flying over uh, <laughs> mass, you know, the largest volcanoes ever, and not choke to death from ash. Yeah, and then just to prove the riders have no clue how planes work, <laughs> <laughs> the roof is ripped off, and people start getting sucked out. <laughs> 
Even though the opening of the door to throw someone out was just <laughs> like, right. So uh, I think we all get the point. Airplane versus volcano is about as accurate as a football bat or a soup sandwich. All this does make it even funnier right down to the final set piece in which Rick makes a ridiculously illogical decision in an attempt to save the day. But when I first watched this movie, it was free and now it's four ninety nine on Amazon. But four ninety nine. Yeah, wow. I was like, I am not paying money to watch this again. <laughs> You'll need to see it to find out what that is. The production values are laughable, and the performances. <laughs> Are terrible, but watch it with a group of some geologist friends and you'll find yourselves regularly erupting with laughter because you know, <laughs> nice volcanoes <clears throat> erupting. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was not even comically bad. It was just bad. I mean, it was bad acting. I know Angela, I turned on, she's like, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, it's for the podcast. She's and like, like oh, halfway God. through, I'm just like, what is that? What is even going on? Like, uh, yeah, dude, it killed me. Like whenever the pilots were killed, just like, yeah, it just didn't make any sense. He's like, what the code? What's the code for the autopilot? And he was like able to move the auto. I don't know. It didn't make any sense, but heck? amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess how this is going to week. So this week's mineral minute is brought to you by and brought to you by the zirconium orthosilicate jargoo. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, we, we What the up. hell? What, what is, what am I doing? Oh, it's because, dude, I have to do this. It's Mineral. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Mineral. Jargoo. Mineral minutes. <laughs> what the? Minerals. All right, so this is this week's minerals also brought to you by the zirconium orthosilicate jargoon. 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 It's a chemical formula is ZrSOIF4. Yeah, so does that seem familiar? It does. Jargoon is usually a non-transparent not gym quality zircon and it's also an obsolete it's an obsolete term. But since jargoon <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun to say you love zircons, Brian. We will talk about zircons and use the name <laughs> Jargoon. Jargoon's luster is described as adamantine, vitreous, or greasy. Jargoon, it's such a so Jargoon has a hardness of seven point five. Jargoon has a specific gravity of four point six to four point seven. Jargoon, jackal. <laughs> Zircon was renamed in 1783 by Abraham Gottlob Wienwerner from the Arabic and in turn from the Persian Azergun, Zar gold plus gun colored, referring to one of the many colors that the mineral made originally named. What is that? I don't know. I think it's in 300 BC by Theoprastus. Okay, yeah. A mineral that may have been today's zircon was called the chrysolithos, chrysolithos by Pliny in 37. It was also called Jason by the Georgius Agricola in 1555, mentioned as jargoon by Alex Kronstedt in 1758. It's also called, it was called Hyacinthi, Hyacinth. I don't know, by Bartholomew Fauhas de Saint-Fond in 1772. So numerous later synonyms have been advanced. Jargoon. 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 
<laughs> Maybe, but zircon definitely is found in most <laughs> igneous rocks and some metamorphic rocks as small crystals or grains, mostly widely distributed and rarely more than 1% of the total mass of the rock. It is also found as alluvial grains <laughs> in some sedimentary rocks due to its high hardness. Zircon has a high refractive index and when the crystals are large enough, it is often a gemstone. Yeah, so Jargoon's tenacity is brittle. Jargoon's <laughs> cleavage is poor, indistinct, indistinct on 110 and 111. Jargoon conchoidally fractures. Jargoon is udiaxial. <laughs> Positive with high surface relief, very strong dispersion, and weak pleochrism. And jargoon <laughs> grows tabular to square prismatic or tetragonal dipyramidal uh, crystals and is part of the 4MM crystal class ditetragonal dipyramidal. Stay tuned for next week's mineral malmudite. <laughs> malmudite. Jargoon! <laughs> Maybe that's the that's what we're gonna name our uh, our naked mole rat is oh, Jargoon. That's, that's its name. Jargoon. That's it. Well <laughs> man, cheers, dude. It's been cheers. it's been fun already. Yeah. I cannot wait. <laughs> All right. On to topic two of this evening is we're gonna do the geology of Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I middle always, earth i say that's how i say i also say birthdays okay yeah so speaking of geology in the movies i thought of you when coming up with this topic so i know the listener was about the geology and i hope that was fun but we're gonna nerd out anyways so the yeah. geology of middle earth is what i came to the conclusion i was like uh oh and then we take this wherever we need to take this from the misty mountains to the Dimeril dale yeah and how about a starting point so did you know that or at first let me just take a step back. So most of what we're going to be talking about right now are primarily from two papers yeah. that did a, they could, they did a way better job of talking about the geology of middle earth here and interpreting it. Yeah. And interpreting. <laughs> so we are interpreting what they're interpreting. So just, this is mostly not original thought, but I just, just in case. So, sure. but anyways, a starting point for this conversation, did you know that Mr. J R R R R R R R R Tolkien, <laughs> your daddy, did he, yeah, I just, I think back to uh, the episode we did with Greta and yeah. I don't remember that one. <laughs> what was it? Uh, cellar door. Oh yeah. Just, oh, so uh, beautiful. Uh, it really is. <laughs> himself. Like, so he was a well-known geology enthusiast and believed to have followed the progression of continental drift. Yeah. So uh, many scholars have assumed that all of Middle Earth's geological processes were the result of plate tectonics. Yeah. Right. And so now the matching locations are more obvious now. Yeah. For instance, Gondor has similar features to the Carpathian Mountains in yes. the Alps, but Mordor matches the Carpathian Mountains on their own, taken at another angle. Yeah, so I think if you look at the 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 map of Middle Earth, so if you take a portion of it and then you turn it, what they're talking about, the Carpathian Mountains, or yeah. however you say that word, like it's, it's like there and then it's rotated again. So it kind of explains, I think with this too, is some complaints, oh, like this is impossible geology because these mountains are at 90 degrees Right. angles but yeah. like the Carpathian Mountains I believe do have like this kind of yeah. like more angular angularity to it so yeah so the structure of Middle Earth in the revised map now more closely resembles features of the Alpine Belt if you will so mm -hmm. which dominates much of Europe and turned 100 to 180 degrees at some points right so that's what I was just talking about I think 
this was intentional as Tolkien, you know, he explained in a letter that the geography was parallel to Europe's. So it's kind of this imaginary tale that people want to be like, oh, but so the action of the story, he writes, quote, that the action of the story takes place in the northwest of Middle Earth. And this is an equivalent in latitude to the coastlands of Europe and the north shores of the Mediterranean. Yeah. So this doesn't claim that Middle Earth is Europe. So he, Tolkien never mentioned that. Or Nor that the, should he, yeah. damn it. Yeah. And, or, or that the two can be conflated, but instead right. aspects of Middle Earth, they're based on physical and cultural aspects of medieval Europe to provide familiar landscape. I think I, I had listened to an interview with him and someone had asked him like, where, where is Middle Earth? And he was basically saying it was a place like here, but it's, it was almost another dimension. Yeah. And I, I've, I've read one or a couple other articles getting ready for this. And it was more like the metaphysical, like, Oh, this could be a flat, you know, dimension or anyways. Yeah. But that's neither here, there, but mm. I do have a fun fact that Anphalos means longshore or beach, which is kind wow. of a, one of the, on the shores in Sindarian. Yeah. Is that how you say that? Nidarian. Sindarin. Nidarian. <laughs> the jellyfish? Is that the jellyfish, right? Yeah, the Nidarians? Yeah. Yeah, so Cinderin. I'm going to pr- mispronounce these because in my head, so I started reading The Hobbit when I was like, I, I think I was like 12. It's the first time I read The Hobbit and just, I've, I've read that book so many times, but you know how you say it in your head so many times yeah. and someone else says it, kind of like how you say detrital oh, yeah. or how you say, uh, what's another word? <laughs> where we, where we disagree. <laughs> oh, what is it? We need to come up with all the ones and yeah. have that as a segment. Yeah. How to pronounce pronounce challenge yeah. yeah yeah i like that so anyways anyways people <laughs> actually write essays about this stuff so and thought we could talk about some of the works in whole just to give some context and some citations right yeah so one of them robert c reynolds he wrote a piece for the swansea geographer in 1974 yeah and though it was entitled geomorphology of middle earth it's much more than that so it applies to the concepts of plate tectonics and then current to the whole geology of Middle Earth. Yeah, right. So Reynolds, he really broke down Middle Earth into, I guess, four main plates and named them the Eriador. Eriador. Eriador plate in the west and then the Rovanian. That's Rovanian yeah. uh, plate <laughs> in the north and then the Harad and Mordor plates in the south. And then as we know, the river Anduin was considered as flowing through what was then styled as an Alakagen. Alakagen. I can say that whenever I'm not... <laughs> It's like a, (laughs) a okay, a lockagen and now would be regarded more as a rift valley as we'll soon find out. Yeah. Did you know that Driving Slow Motion has a song called Anduin? Yeah. Didn't I, didn't I, I brought it up, I think, on an episode like Maybe. Arda. Like yeah, the name. yeah. Not, 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 not that, but the the Elvish. Yeah. So we have a song named Anduin, but we also have a song named The Great River, and those are mm. both names for the same river. Yeah, The Great River. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You have a music yeah. video, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. That's an old one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Back to Reynolds. Okay. He held the belief that bounding faults were all transform faults. Okay. And then transform faults, if for those that aren't geologists, are just faults along which movement had been essentially lateral, but then occurring at different times in contrary directions. So they're 90 degrees. Yeah. They're vertical. Yep. Right. And so he he considered the region south of the Emin Mule and north of the line of the White Mountains to be what would be like a tectonic basin that he called 
it the Nindalf Basin. Okay. Rohan, it constituted like um or constituted a stable block of ancient rock. So it's it's basically a craton. Yeah. And then into the fold and fray that we start talking about is an essay written in 1996, kind of like a follow-up, tongue in cheek, kind of like, oh, well, you said one thing. But anyways, <laughs> it's by William Anthony Swithin Sargent titled Geology of Middle Earth. And I highly suggest y'all read it. It's a good read and was a bit more in depth in analysis. So Sargent thought that Reynolds paid too small a regard to the north and the northwest of Middle Earth. And then to the many major faults, most are described as normal faults with a trend from southwest to northeast. And then usually from west-southwest to east-northeast that controls so much of the Middle Earth geography. Yeah, and so Sargent recognized six, not four, plates. So in, in modern terminology as applied to the American Cordillerian, how do you say that word? I say Cordilleran. Yeah, six terrains is okay. what we're, we're, we're really talking about. And they are really involved in how Middle Earth looks like in its geography. Wow, okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I like the kind of, we're going to be giving some context to, to yeah. kind of some of these too. So I like the American Cordilleran. The most ancient are going to be the Forlindon. For, uh, that's not the right way to say it. Forlindon. Yeah, I guess that's right. Plate and the Eriador plate, which those collisions caused the orogeny that produced the Arid Luin or the Blue Mountains. Yeah, and an orogeny being a mountain building phase, hashtag for your <laughs> definitions. <laughs> yes. But oh yeah, so this is, this is, I think I interrupted you way too soon. So Brian, speaking of definitions, give me a number between one through 788. 644. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Give me a number between one through 30. 17. Uh, okay. Stand by. I'm computing. <laughs> Duty <laughs> Okay. Stand by. I'm computing. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> Hold on. Duty boop. Okay, your geology word of the day is stereosome. <laughs> Can you give us the definition before I read it to you? No. And the world is your back Uh, stereosome. Um... No, I don't know. All directions, something. This is the part of a chorus mite that remains solid at all times during the processes of formation. Oh, wow. Okay, no, but check this out, dude. Check this book out. Glossary of Geology. Dude, that thing is 788 pages and it wow. is chock full of geology terms. Dude, every single geology term. Oh my God. So I went to, I told you I went to Barnes and Noble, not Barnes and Noble, I went to Half Price Books and I found a whole bunch of books. That Dude, that book was $6. Yeah. And I find it, it would be useful for dude, our podcast. This is, so I turned to this page. I had to learn a definition on the trip. Okay. So a strath surface. S-T-R-A-T-H. You know yeah. Uh, and actually surface is not in that, but strath. Uh, strat. Uh, is it linear feature? I don't uh, know. Yeah, it is. It's basically when a fluvial deposit that's a terrace yeah. deposit is placed on bedrock. And so it's that contact. Okay. So it's, did it cut out the bedrock or is it, so Not it's a, it's, so mean, it's deposited it could, and it's then deposited there's on top. So okay. there's bedrock and then you have your fluvial deposit. Okay. And okay. But it's a terrace. So yeah. then it's been uplifted. And so it's the ancient the, floodplain. <clears throat> it's an old floodplain. That's what a terrace right. is. Right. Like. And so the river would down cut. And yeah. So it's exposed. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Strath. And that's, so that's kind of like that unconformity. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 
But look, it's enormous. So now we're going to have another segment, Geology Word of the Day. Absolutely. Dude, it's okay. So uh, where were we? So, um, okay, back to Middle Earth. Since that time of the orogeny that produced the Blue Mountains that you were talking about, so we didn't get a lot. And then the Forlunden plate is how I'm going to say it. (laughs) Forlindon plate has been largely subsumed. So another definition, if you will. So that is drawn down into a subduction zone at the continental margin. Hashtag for your definitions. So it's materials, basically what's happening is reincorporated into the Earth's mantle. Right. Which is would be the opposite of exhumed, yeah. which means to bring up. Huh. Yeah. So he was, uh, what, something <clears throat> posthumously exhumed, posthumously. Yes. So yeah, you're right. So only this interpretation is like only two blocks west of the arid Luin, the regions of Forlinden and Harlinden, still persist. So yeah. Sergeant, he argued that both plates have moved north and they produced the many strikes slip faults that furnished courses for those west flowing rivers. Okay. Um, hopefully we can post the map or something, but yeah. So I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're lost to what we're talking about, if you look at a, just, just a map of middle earth, you'll know what we're talking, yeah. you'll see the, what we're talking about. Right. Yep. So also the collision of the Eriador plate with two other plates, the Ravonian plate to the east and the Harad plate to the southward direction, they caused two further orogenies that probably overlapped in time. From his geologic map, right, uh, Reynolds, not Reynolds, uh, Sargent, right? So between the Iriador and the Rovanian plates arises the Misty Mountains. And Mm. between the Iriador plate and the Harad plates, you were talking about the White Mountains, the three plates forming a triple junction against the stable basement rock of the Rohan Craton. Yeah, and I, so I see a second triple junction. It was formed by the collision of the Iriador and Rovanian plates with the Foradwaith plate. So once again, you'll see the map, but <laughs> but the consequent orogeny produced the arid Mithrin, otherwise known as the Grey Mountains. And together, they had this westward extension through the region of Angmar towards the Ice Bay of Foreshul. We keep saying this <clears throat> word, orogeny, and I wanted to... Poems by James. Oh, please, please, please let it be good. This is actually a James poem. I wrote oh, this. Oh, you wrote it? Yeah, I wrote it. Okay. And it's All about right. geology. I wrote a geology poem. Okay. All right, you ready? Yes. How sweet our convergence, our bodies collide with melting hearts, the earthquakes beneath my feet, subduction deepens, trembling, oh sweet orogeny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dude, that, that is. Yeah, so that's a, that's a poem I wrote. <laughs> it really is. You, you should publish this. Yeah, maybe. I think so. But, you know, who says geology can't be sexy? Right. But anyways. We know how to make the bedrock. Yeah, we do. And we do. (laughs) Pound it. Okay, so. (laughs) Oh, is that me? Yeah. Oh, you already said Ice Bay for a show? Yeah. Okay. Well, you were talking about Rajanis, so uh, I digress. So, Mount Gundabad looks as if it represents a rotated block of erosion-resistant rocks at the exact position of the junction we were talking about. Yeah, we don't really know a lot. So Tolkien didn't go into a lot of detail on, like, if you if you'll read, like, he even describes, like, in some areas, like, slick and slides. Yeah. It's really cool, but... Didn't his uh, son further mm-hmm. the kind of description of it? Yeah, and Christopher in, did. Yeah, and then some of the books, like, uh, that kind of were, like, offshoots, like, would spend it, like, an entire chapter talking about, like, the description of... <laughs> 
of a river. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. But so of Mount Gundabad, we don't, neither you nor I nor Sergeant or who's the other guy? Oh Reynolds. Reynolds, sorry. Yeah. They didn't come up with much either. <laughs> yeah. So, and then from the most recent major tectonic event can best be described as a collision of a rapidly moving mortar plate with the northern part of the Harad plate and the southernmost part of the Rovanian plate. And then the mortar plate is bounded on the north and south by transform faults. Again, it's those uh, linear ones that their motion at first westward and then more prolonged as it mm. moves eastward. Yeah. And so a big consequence of this is the formation of the Andean Rift Valley. So <clears throat> that- Not Andean. Andean. Did I say Andean? You said Andean. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, no, it's I'm all right. thinking, because I watched this special on the Andes like yeah. on Netflix. It was really awesome. Anyways, sorry, Tolkien. Anduin- I don't know how I could possibly get that one wrong. Yeah, so this Rift Valley and it it caused like it, or it resulted in tearing apart the crust. Yeah, and so despite what Reynolds would claim about this, this rift is bounded not by transform faults. I remember he wanted to call all of them transform, but these are normal faults. Okay, so it's kind of like where it's like a kind of ripping apart now in that blockage, blockage that failed that arm. Failed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so from the map at its southern end, it has buckled against the stable Harondor crater. On, causing it to rotate more westward. So essentially, this rift is argued by Sargent to be a region of subsidence, so most markedly in the northern portion of the Gladen Basin. So Reynolds, and according to Reynolds, and in the triangle between the Emin Mule, the White Mountains, and the Ethel Duath, the Nindolf Basin. Yeah, and so as, as Reynolds noted, the marshy nature of the Nindolf Basin, it incorporates the dead marshes. So that's where, like, sort <laughs> of Frodo Sam and Gollum are walking by and like all these candles or like torches are lit everywhere yeah. and Frodo almost goes down to, there was a great battle and Frodo gets spellbound by it and he almost joins the dead people in the water. Yeah. It's really cool. But it also included the wet wing. I know what that one is. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. No, just Why James. does it have to be that? Yeah, I don't know. That's cool. Wet wing. <laughs> but also the ant wash, which is a really cool thing. And you should definitely drink that if you want to get taller. It indicates that this basin once contained a lake that had then since been silted up, which that makes a lot of sense. But however, the complex interaction of plates, it also produced three horsed, that's fall bounded, elevated blocks, right? Yeah. Uh, within, Hashtag for your definitions. Yeah. <laughs> within that rift area. So yeah. Two of these, the Emin Mule and the Emmy Ammon, they determined that, so the northern and southern limits of the Nindolf Basin, yeah. they also control Anduin's course and character, and so it produces some dramatic features as Tolbrandir and its gray faces of stone in the Roris Falls. Yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. So the then the third occurs at the Rift's south, southwestern most end, forming the mountained islands of the Tolfalis. It's marked by the many mouths of the Anduin. Sargent maintains that there had to have been a lot of volcanic activity during these earlier orogenies. The the only recently active region was associated with the crumpling of the Mordor plate after the collision, really causing fissure volcanism and some explosive activity around its rims. Yeah, and so that that landscape that it was spoiled, it the one that distressed Frodo and Sam, so yeah. like the really rugged stuff. It was probably largely a consequence of initial volcanism and not just spoiled heaps produced by mining. Yeah, and then it's likely that the 
the Udun Basin of the northwesternmost Mordor is an enormous crater or caldera. So this is the product of a cataclysmic eruption like that of, you can think of Krakatoa, right? So mm-hmm. they just boom. So Reynolds' alternative suggestion is that it was an independent small plate, which seems much less probable in view of its position and its shape. Yeah. So the only volcano recently active in the region would be Mount Doom. Uh, Mount Oridruin, which uh, it's by it's it's freaking tall. <laughs> so it's got really high relief in proportion to its. What is that noise? It's a plane. Lord. That's insane that it picked that up, dude. So the only volcano recently active in the region is Mount Doom or Mount Oridruin, which by its great height in proportion to the basal diameter, it must have been built up rapidly by basic lava, right? So you're like basalt and then scoria and then ash. Yeah, and Mount Doom is indeed one of the four isolated volcanoes, each representing a hot spot, if you will. So kind of the not, we talked about a hot spot earlier. Anyways, <laughs> I just get derailed by the, the core. <laughs> <Good point. laughs> so if you will, so at some distance from a plate margin. Yeah, but all see, of them, even Tolkien know that he did. He wasn't as dumb as the writers of the core. Yeah, right. I don't know what that is. Let's see if that makes it go away. Okay. But all of them are associated with evil doing. <laughs> it's, uh, you were <laughs> so, absolutely right. Yeah. So Dol Guldor in Markwood or Thank and Isengard in Erebor at the Lonely Mountain right? Isengard with its black rocks, it was certainly a vast volcanic crater, right? No, it had to be. Yeah. But Orthanc, which is the tower um, okay. there in Isengard that Sauron is operating out of, um, it must have been an agile eggwell. Yeah. I can't, yeah. So it's like a column of solidified lava thrust up from a vent in like that last spasm of an eruption Yeah, within the crater. And so it, it was afterly, Tolkien says in some of his supplemental writings that it was actually shaped by magic. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why not? Yeah, so, and then the, the so-called spine produced in the late, or the last phases of eruption of Mount Pele would offer a good comparison to this. Yeah, so the lonely mountain, from its shape and with its gray and silent cliffs within the bleak and barren landscape, it had to be a volcano. Yeah, it seems like there are many present volcanoes of closely similar outlines. So you have the Lon La Tunger, Argentina. So this huge cave in which the dragon piled his ill-gotten gains with the Lonely Mountain can best be imagined as what we would call lava tubes hmm, within yeah, this. Yeah, and the doors probably reshaped <laughs> Yeah, sure they did. <laughs> so those industrious folk. Yeah, right. If you think back to the Hobbit, so it must have been a kind of a smaller tunnel down which Bilbo, he kind of unwillingly went to seek the dragon. Yeah. And comparable structure is the, the Thurston lava tubes in Kilauea Volcano, Hawaii. Hmm, yeah. Those are cool structures. Well, so out of these recent volcanoes, only Mount Doom was still active in the time of Bilbo and Frodo. So yet out of the recent volcanoes, only Mount Doom was still active in the time of Bilbo and Frodo. So yeah. third age, right? Sergeant, he contended that only seismic events recorded in the Chronicles are those caused by Gandalf's <laughs> throwing down of the Belrog <laughs> and and, Ga- and Gollum's fall with the ring in the fires of Mount Doom. Man, these, like, I'm so impressed. Like yeah. these dudes took all of this to the next level, man. Yeah. <laughs> I could not have come up with that. Yeah. But it makes, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah. Yeah. So with the other earthquakes, there there's no geophysical data to date, right? Yeah. All in all, the, this time must have been one of unusual tectonic, how do I say that word? Quiescence? Quiescence. Quiescence. Yeah. Tectonic quiescence. Okay. All in all, this time must have been one of unusual tectonic quiescence. However, in the present topography of Middle Earth, the effects of the earlier tectonic events, they're, they're evident. So Rivendell, for 
instance, its position where the Misty Mountain foothills are, they're intersected by the Great Guathlo Fault. fault. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird trying to say Middle Earth words. No, I know, but I, again, but like, so in your head, right? Yeah. I was... I don't know if I've talked about this on the on the podcast yet, but like, or if I even brought up this concept, how whenever you're speaking in your head, it makes sense because you don't have to give yourself any kind of context. Oh, it just yeah. makes sense. But when you work through kind of the, the weirdness and the awkwardness of it is when you say it out loud and then kind of that's when, you know, like you stumble over your words is because yeah. you don't have to, in your head, it makes sense. But when you start doing this, your brain starts going ahead because you're like, man, that doesn't sound right. And then you get kind of all thrown yeah. off, which is kind of like what I think is awesome about just as a side note, with our podcast, right? A lot of this too is we write it out and we do our research and we write stuff out, but we somehow stumble our way to where it kind of, it, it works. It yeah. Sounds. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point of, we don't have to prove anything kind of to ourselves. It already makes sense. Ever. Like you don't yeah. have to give anything you say inside your head context and you'll never outthink yourself because you can only think at the pace that you think at Yeah, yeah. your, your inner voice. And then yeah. there's some people that don't even hear that voice inside their head, which is, I don't know. How do you, do that. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. That's crazy. So Rivendell, so the entry to the valley that it's in is through a canyon and it, it is actually looks kind of like uh, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison River in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. I like that place. Yeah. Also, Helm's Deep must also be a canyon within a terrain essentially of limestones. So I thought that was interesting. And then its mm. location and fortifications are comparable to those of the Castle of Eigel, Switzerland. And then there are the troll-haunted Entenmoors, which are the, the block of resistant rocks displaced between the Evendim and the Minhiraeth. Minhiraeth? Minhiraeth. 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 Faults. Yeah. yeah. So there's also these rich mineral veins in in Moria. Yeah, and these are known for the mithril? Mithril, and you Question? are correct. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, in my head, I like to imagine them kind of like this naturally occurring kind of, I guess, alloy, kind of this metallic platinum mixed with yeah. maybe palladium. I don't know. Something like that. Something like that. So the veins there, they're thought to have developed where Tharbad and Holinar. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> where, where those faults intersected the Misty Mountains. Okay. Um, so the mithril, it crystallized at um, so high a temperature that it's only found in veins at the great depths. So I think Sargent, he states that the almost equally rich mineralization of the Mordor plate was a result from the fault movements along its mm. rim. So while the much less rich mineral deposits of the Iron Hills worked by the Dane and his dwarfs are going to be associated with the North Rune Fault, elsewhere there are some economic deposits that might not be as common. As far as that goes, like there's iron in the Eridluin, coal in the Shire. That kind of makes sense given yeah. that he made that after England. <laughs> um, so limestone, it was, if you notice the white city, right? Uh, yeah. Which is Minas Tirith and Gondor. So limestone had to be quarried in the White Mountains. Chalk had to be in the Shire's White Downs. And it had good building stones of other kinds in Amor, Halin, and other regions. So Gimli even said, like, this country has tough bones. Tough bones. Yeah. Was it talking about the, the fossils and the rocks or just the, the industrious dwarfs? I think he was, they had to know they were geologists like, yeah. and miners. And so he knew the expense of dwarves that would have to go into yeah. to mining. It. The the shaping of the landscape is, of course, dependent on the interplay of structures and rock type with erosion has shaped the northern mountains and the highest mountains of the south. So the varied rocks of the Misty Mountains are seen by Gandalf, Bilbo, and the dwarves from their Eagle's Airy mm. can be thought to resemble the Nepal Himalayas of yeah. today. 
Yeah, that makes sense. The volcanic Ethel Duith, or the Ash Mountains, they're seen near Shelob's lair, which is the big spider. Um, yeah. Frodo and Sam saw that, and they're thought to have been reshaped. The results pretty comparable to the Grand Tetons of Wyoming, even though the rocks are very dissimilar. Yeah, yeah, the, the great yeah. tits. <laughs> so the, the, the effects of glaciation have also modified the lowlands. So Reynolds pointed out that large areas of the Rovanian east of the Anduin have sculpted by these processes for considerable periods. And then the Iron Hills may be a... Monodnock. Monodnock. It's yeah. such a weird word. It is. Monadnock remnants of a former higher land surface, as may also be the hills near the Sea of Rune. Yeah, and so Dogerlod, it had this like quartzitic regolith in it. it. It could be fossilized gravel covered in a petaplane surface. Extensive Piedmont glaciation of the lowlands in the south seems unlikely from their latitude, but valley glaciation in the White Mountains is argued to have been very important. Yeah, so then there there are many over-deepened glacial troughs throughout Middle Earth. So Morgul Valley, the Morthan mm-hmm. Vale, Harrowdale, with overflow channels from one trough to another and other classical glacial features such as area and pyramidal lakes. So do you know what the Eretis, oh Eretz God. means? I should. I think so, it had to do with the, between the peaks, that little like trough, well, like uh, the sharp edge. Yes, the sharp edge, but it actually, I think is French for knife blade, like okay. a serrated kind yeah. of like this. So I, I mean, like remember the, the Alpine glacier diagram where it shows every feature. Yeah. There. So it is like from peak to peak, that sharp ridge. Yeah, that sharp ridge. Okay. Yeah. And then like whenever that gets eroded away and you just have that big thing in the middle, yeah. that's like the, the Piedmont. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Matterhorn, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, periglacial conditions, they're suggested in the lowlands and mountain fringes from unconsolidated materials incorporating a coarse regolith. Northwards, glacial processes become even more severe. So Piedmont glaciers fed from the Misty Mountains stripped large areas of Eriador and produced its ill-drained and stony landscape from ungraded tumbling streams. Huh. Yeah, so the Karadharas is a peak at the head of the U trough whose snow still fed an icy stream and the lake Mirror Mirror. Mm. So that's kind of like my band's name is an ice scooped hollow. So Reynolds also noted that the long lake on the river running Lake Evendem and the hollow occupied by the Midgewater marshes are probably of glacial origin. Yeah. And he argued that extensive fluvial glacial sands and gravels of the Shire were deposited under periglacial conditions, basically with localized lowering of groundwater. Their base level heat, it was consequent upon erosions of the Guathlo and Baranduin Valley ice tongues. All these weird guath. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I can't speak in Elvish. What's what's the what's the language? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of them. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so the erosional deepening of the valleys on the chalk downs of the Shire was another consequence of this glaciation that Reynolds was writing about. So in addition, as he remarked, "quote Post glacial eustatic changes have affected the whole coast, creating rias and small fjords and flooding low lying basins." The Belfellas. Although delta formations by the Anduin has kept pace with this. Uh, so it's got to have that sediment supply, yeah, baby. that baby. <laughs> the, so Sargent, he commented on the alleviation by the rivers and that has also occurred. It formed the peats and clays of the Bear Anduin. Yeah. And it's famous for turnips, but especially mushrooms. Mushrooms. 
mushrooms? As, mushroom, as mushroom. also is the marish. Batcher, 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 batcher. <laughs> mushrooms. Do you remember that from U Bombs World? That badger, badger. It's a. I used, never to, I used to watch that oh, okay. stuff all the time. Oh, I'll send you the link. So, yes, please. But okay, so in the north, it was described so areas of lithologically controlled high relief occur abutting glacially stripped lowlands occupied by bogs and misfit streams in glacially enlarged valleys. The weather hills are a rugged, rugged escarpment, and the Trollshaws, a deeply desiccated upland which includes rocks of probably red bed faces. Hmm. Those red beds. Yeah. The Carrick, in which Bayorn he once dwelt, is surely an especially massive erratic block that was transported to its present position by a since vanished glacier. So there's your your definition of an erratic. Erratic. Uh, That's the only way. Yeah. (laughs) But elsewhere, riverine erosion has predominated. So also subsurface erosion has produced the troll hole and the troll (laughs) straws. It's like Brian's black hole. Yes. Um, Doo-doo hole. And also the goblin holes (laughs) in the Misty Mountains where Gandalf, Bilbo, and the dwarves encountered great trouble. And the cave that serves as the place for the king of the wood elves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like the palace of the king of the wood elves. (laughs) Yes, yes. So striking products of this is the the underground lake once haunted by Gollum. So mm-hmm. very like the underlying Australia's Nullarbor Plain. Nullarbor. I don't, I can't do it. <laughs> My Australian accent has failed me. Yeah. And then the glittering caves of Aglarond and that so much delighted Gimli and would yes. put even Carlsbad Cavern to shame. Yeah, he and Legolas made a promise to each other they'd go back after the quest was over. Because he, he was like, even all the mines of Moria and all the places of his folk had no comparison to that. Yeah, we need to, I don't know, create something like a, a geological mapping kind of assignment that would kind of go through this. We should do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so Sargent, he offers many other deductions too where possible, such as the West Gate of the Moria, or mm. West Gate of Moria, if you will. So from the illustration, um, it appears to have been cut through a massive volcanic seal, which is just a sheet of lava intruded between strata underground, and then it's brought to the surface by tectonic events and exposed by erosion. Yeah, so the staircase below the east gate, it's a reason to traverse a series of beds dipping westward at low angle like steps, okay? So they produce the stair falls. Bree Hill, tall and brown, and bleak weathertop, they all appear to be monadnocks, and then... So monadnocks are those isolated hills within the landscape? Yeah, yeah, basically the river cut it down so much that okay. they're they're up high. So Bree Hill is lower. It probably was formed of sandstone. Weathertop's going to be higher and it's going to have older rocks, more highly indurated, perhaps slates or quartzites. Oh, Who nice. All in all, in geological terms, as Sargent wrote, Tolkien's description and pictures of Middle Earth are a world that geologically, at least, is very like our own. Yes, that was awesome. Yeah, it like, was. It is hard to say uh, elven words, though. It is. It's like, because in my head, like, you know, you say it and you're just like, oh, gloss over it. And that's how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, then... Well, on to another edition of the new and improved portion of That Freaking Rocks. And joining us today, we have Greg from the very talented band Secret Gardens. Woo! 
And then I guess uh, first, Greg, tell us a little bit about you and your band, and then we will sample your song "Tough Conversations." And then lastly, just have a little a little talky talk about it. Sure. Um, well, for starters, Secret Gardens is actually just me, and it's always funny when I hear people talk about it. They say you guys sound off the set. I'm like, well, it's actually just me doing yeah. everything. I wish I was. I mean, I'm starting to collaborate with people here and there more now, and everything. You know, starting to get into the nitty gritty. But I literally just started out doing this type of music like a therapy for myself in my bedroom <laughs> pretty much nice. and the last record that I just released is still pretty much that but yeah I mean I'm hoping to grow the project more but at the very end of the day it is centered around just my emotions and things I've dealt with and ideas I want to convey over the years yeah but you put together a really a solid sound man so let's uh, I will go ahead and play this a little bit for everyone out there that's that's listening and then we'll, we'll talk about about it. Cool. ending so the, the song is tough conversations right Greg yeah yeah um, yeah that ending like I like the journey of that song because it has little blips of hey I haven't heard that before I haven't heard that take on it and then at the end it just goes into this explosive riffy beautiful like a hopeful ending and I was like oh my god I, I was blown away when I heard that thank you yeah I oh mean man I have a lot to say about that song it is so funny to hear anyone say that it is hopeful because to me that song is literally me Okay, so in the most non-dramatic way possible, I don't know, I went through a lot of really, really bad shit, pretty much most of 2019 to the beginning of 2020. And that, to me, is like the dramatic climax of like, like the main character dying in the life of my movie, like, you know, or the movie of my life or whatever. Like, it, it, it sounds like, if I were to put it simply in the most digestible way, the main character who you've loved for three movies in a row is now dying. Yeah. Like, oh my dies. God. Okay. It's the most tragic, <laughs> emotional, it's heartfelt. It just sounds like this huge, huge climax of emotion and just build up and in intensity. And I wrote that after um, going through a lot of really bad emotional shit for me. And it just needed to, I don't know, it's, it, it like feels it feels like on one end it feels like a breakup and then on the other end it feels like your family or loved one is like dying or something like that. It's like a mix of all those really hard, hard, hard moments in life that I unfortunately had to deal with in yeah. a couple of years. And it's just all of that culminating at once. So it kinda of sounds like your life is flashing before your eyes kinda of type feel if that makes sense yeah right but then at the end i mean like it it does i guess at the end you could feel that build up throughout the song and then when it comes to that big crescendo or i guess climax at the end it just seems like acceptance like right this is like yeah it's like the brutal kind of somber reality that is you know kind of life sometimes (laughs) yeah I thought that the whole record kind of mimicked that. So this is a geology podcast, so I'm going to throw a little bit of stuff out there. But yeah, name, <laughs> the name Tundra is is awesome in itself. And it, I immediately thought of, because you like to go hiking and stuff, but I thought of the Bering Land Bridge Natural Preserve. Yeah. And that's where like that like 
the two continents used to have this little bridge and the Mar Lakes up there, they resulted from the Frito magmatic eruption that basically the basaltic magma interacted with the permafrost and it just blew up. <laughs> and now you have these <laughs> okay. beautiful lakes out there. Yeah. But it, that's when I listened to your record today, I was, I was actually thinking about that. But of course you were, Brian. This, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But it, but it has that humanness, that feeling like humanity. I did feel alone uh, when I mm-hmm. listened to it and dwelling on things that have come to pass. I, I will say, like, maybe I'm way off the mark, but I did feel like maybe it's acceptance is a better word than hope. That you know yeah. you, you have to go on. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to convey. And the fact that Tough Conversations is track number one on the record, I, I feel like it has kind of a very strong, potent beginning to kind of make you be like, oh, okay, <laughs> like this is where this is going. And what kind of journey begins from that point where you feel like you have nothing left and you feel like you've just lost everything and you have to continue on. And that was very much what my life was like about a year and a half, two years ago. And the rest of the record is pretty much my kind of journey throughout that. The arc of this project, Secret Gardens, is to release a record representing each season sonically and kind of vibe-wise. So this is the winter record. Yeah, the first record I did was the summer one, and I'm working on the next season right now actually it'll be out next year but i do have some other tracks that i'm gonna put out before and i have a track in june with my friend joey who is his post-rock project is called dark fields and that that was just like a fun collaborative one-off track that we did so we're gonna put that out in june and then i might release some other auxiliary tundra content throughout the year but yeah just gonna kind of focus on making the best record i can make for the next season and yeah just kind of focus on that right now that's awesome man i'm super excited i'm excited for you and your single joey as well he is yeah really that's awesome gonna be fun stuff. yeah that was yeah. that was fun to do i'm excited for you guys too man i'm really stoked for driving slow motion and yeah, yeah. i'd love to freaking play shows with you guys that'd be rad one day we got yeah once the world is healed i'm hoping that a lot of festivals are coming back next year actually i know they are i've already talked to some people so i'm gonna do what i can to get to get the people up there that need to yeah it, i'm gonna I mean, that, that's, i'm gonna just put a whole bunch enough. of uh, reverb in mine and then i'll just say i'm post rock i'll join the festival <laughs> there you go that's all you, you gotta do no but I, I i think that shows are I, i'll never forget going to post fest and then uh, some of the other more massive shows down here yeah dude, I'm, where, in indie, I'm in indie right now i really want to go to the post fest cause, yeah like, i i used to play in indie a bunch with my old band and like i know the kind of town a little bit so i'm surprised that like there's a post rock festival here and like i'm like I, yeah, I have to go back so that i can go <laughs> to it now yeah dude it, it it was awesome i mean people travel from all over the country even europe it's so weird people came over yeah it was it was amazing but yeah so i want to make sure people can find you like your music and everything yeah. so obviously secret gardens on spotify but where can they get merch or just reach out to you so you can all my social handles are secret and then gardens without vowels so secret g-r-d-n-s so that's all my socials and you can just go to secretgardens.bandcamp.com that's where you can find all the merch and music or you could go to secretgardens.bigcartel.com and those two links are spelled the normal full fanatic way just on the on the socials it's just secret and then gardens without vowels so g-r-d-n-s nice well thank you very much for joining us today man and best of luck in all of your adventures and taking the time to help us hopefully in the process we help you out a little bit as well so thank you again yeah i'm stoked to listen to the whole thing and i gotta 
you know, I got a lot of bunch of long drives coming up, so I'm probably going to check out some more episodes of y'all's podcast. Y'all be pretty interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, just be prepared, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we nerd out so much. Well, thanks cool. again, well, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Dude, no problem. All right, catch you later. All right, have a good one, guys. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad that we did it face-to-face again. Yeah. It's been been a, a it, hot minute. It has, but this is the this is the way. Yeah, no, for sure, dude. It's a lot more fun. Dude, yeah. I like talking to you on the, I just like talking to you, but yeah. it's, it's weird. So I was thinking about this the other day and this last tangent before we close things out, but like, right. So we, like, I was trying to explain it to my kid. He's like, he's like, hi, so dad, when are you going to do your podcast? <laughs> he's like, but where's Brian been? Yeah. Like, he's like, how do you know Brian? I'm like, oh, we went to school together. He's like, oh, so like second grade. I was like, no, we met in college. <laughs> and he's like, oh, when's that? And I was like, well, it was like 2013, yeah. right? And then like we, we went to field camp together, but then, right. So I was thinking about it too, is like, right. So we made, we remained like friends, like, right. But not to the degree, like I, you know, now, yeah. like I feel like really good friends now, but oh, yeah. it's, it's that hanging out and you know, this is all of yeah. this, but I was trying to explain to him. And then I was like thinking, I was like, huh, like we were friends, but now I'm like, dude, he's like one of my buddies. I know. Like, yeah, <laughs> I miss your face. <laughs> it definitely like grew. Up. Yeah. And it makes sense. Music rocks. Like, like we know people that went to school with us and like Jason, he actually, he told Christian, he was like, I, t- I told Christian that I wish I liked rocks as much as you do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, how can you not? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, we nerd out. He's yeah. an old grumpy man. Yeah, and I hope yeah. he listens to this. <laughs> I hope he he's, a, he's an old grumpy man, but I think he's graduating finally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited he's, for him. He's yeah. Good I want to go to his, I want to go to his graduation. Yeah. So for sure. Until next time, we invite you to be cool, stay tuned, and keep it on on the the rocks. rocks. Hell yeah. And as we would say in Middle Earth, Namarie. Namarie. (laughs) Namarie. Jargoon. (laughs) Jargoon. Jargoon. (laughs) The naked mole rat. Yay, that was fun. Gee dong. Poopy tikka.